That's such an awesome song. We sang it at Easter. It's become one of our favorite songs now. Just love that. Why don't you go ahead and have a seat? That'd be wonderful. Oh, man. Just gets you excited, doesn't it? You know, grace washes over me, sets me free. We're going to talk a lot about that today. We're going to talk about how he wants to quench the thirsty. And I think many of us would find ourselves being at that place at one time or another, uh, physically, but also today what we're going to talk about is really a spiritual thirst that we're referencing today as we look at this. But I just want to kind of set it up a little bit because we're having this series on Jesus encountering people and he's crossing over cultural boundaries uh, as he does that. And oftentimes when you cross over a cultural boundary, it means that you speak one language and the people you're talking to, they speak another language or you have to really work to be able to communicate to each other. So I just want to you know, begin this morning by asking this. How many of you tried to speak a foreign language before? You tried that. You know, that how many of you tried to speak a foreign language and you mangled it? Let's just raise your hand, okay? <laughs> Probably more than once as we look at that. How many of you would be honest and you'd say at least once you've mangled the English language? Okay, <laughs> let's raise our hands. We've, like, I, you guys get to hear me a lot and you hear when I do that. Uh, you probably don't notice as much as I do, at least what I hope. Uh, but I just think about that. Last week, uh, my wife threw me under the bus uh, when she was talking about the trip that we were able to take to France. Uh, and uh, so we were, you know, of course, in France, you have to speak French. And so I'm, you know, a country hick from Oklahoma. And so I just found this incredibly complicated. Now, we went there to France to celebrate my 60th birthday. Now, did I tell you I turned 60 this year? Have I already talked about that before? I think I have, right? Let's just, it's going to end some point, okay? I'll just quit. It was in February, and I just keep going over and over this whole idea. Maybe it's because I can't get used to it, but last night I found out I can actually get a senior's discount at Regal Cinemas, so that's where you're going to find me now, uh, being there, senior's discount now. I don't know what it is about my brain, but when it comes to this language thing, my brain just doesn't do it well. I don't know if it's just where I grew up or it's just some... Uh, I did inhale when I was younger, so I don't know if that has anything to do with that. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said that, right? <laughs> oh, well, in France, we were staying on a, a very famous French street uh, that most of you would know and be familiar with, and uh, a hotel that was right in the middle of all the major tourist sites. And so I just assumed that, you know, when we were going through trying to make our way, and especially we had to take a taxi a few times, um, that if I were to just get close to the name of the street that the taxi driver or the person I was talking to would be able to understand me. Not so lucky. <laughs> Each time I tried to say it, and I wish I would have put it on the screen so you could see it, because uh, if you just look at it and you, you're an American, you look at the word and you know the way we pronounce things, you'd see, maybe some of you would have empathy for me and you could see some of my struggle, but it's the Champs-Elysees. And see, I'm not even going to say it wrong right now. But I would say that. I would say, I want to go to the Champs-Élysées. And um, then they would just look at me like, where? <laughs> and then my wife or the friends I was with, the husband, he would be so kind as to tell the person what I was trying to say. And they go, oh, there. Okay. So they would actually take us there. Uh, and I'm just glad I'm, so, I'm that secure that I could tell you all about that uh, and be able to do that. But communication is difficult, Right. It's even when we're from the same culture, it's difficult when we do that. I don't know if you've seen the videos that are, there's actually a YouTube channel. Uh, it's called Kids Snippets. And uh, in it, what they do is they have some kids say 
have a conversation, and then we have some dads act out what happened. And so I thought I'd show you one today, just about communication. And let's look at this, and it's about driver's ed, okay? So let's watch this. And this is the honker. That's the key. And there is the wheel to drive the car. This is where you put your foot to get it moving. You mean the pedal? Yes. What does this one do? That one opens the top. Watch. See, it opens the top. I can see the sky. So, that's mostly all. What do you do if it rains? The phone? If it rains and you're driving, what rings? If if it rains, what rings? I said, rain. Rain. Then we would close the windows. <laughs> and what would you do if it was sunny after it rained? we could open the windows. But would the car be dirty? What? Would the car be dirty? What? So, how do you turn on the car? You have to push a button on the car, but I don't know which button. I don't remember what it looks like. <laughs> you don't? Then how do you turn it on when you don't remember what it looks like? Um. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, communication is complicated, right? Oh, my word. But cross-cultural communication is even more complicated. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look about how Jesus encounters a woman from another culture... And this person has no idea who Jesus is when she meets him and how Jesus communicates with her with empathy and clarity in a way that we're going to see changes her life and many people in the village she's from forever. And what I hope today is it really impacts us as well as we look at this encounter with the woman at the well. So go ahead and grab your message notes if you would. They look like this uh, and all the Bible verses and you're going to see there's a lot today. Uh, So we're covering most of one chapter today, John chapter 4. So you can open your Bible to John chapter 4. That'd be wonderful. We just like to say, if you don't own a Bible, we'd like to give you one. So you stop at the bookshelves right out those doors, and there's some Bibles on there, and you can take them, and we'd be happy to give you one today. So as I said, we're looking at some high-impact encounters that Jesus had with ordinary people. And as we've seen so far, ordinary people just like you and me, when we can put ourselves into their place and we just don't read it as a story that happened back then somewhere else. And so what we're doing is we're considering how Jesus pursued, he welcomed, he embraced, he empathized, in some cases he healed, he challenged, he performed miracles. We're just looking at all these encounters. Next week will be a miracle that we're going to look at that Jesus did with people to help them to experience him, to know him. Uh, So last week, Kim talked about the encounter that Jesus had with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he was a very knowledgeable, high stature. He was an insider, 
And so we looked at him and the questions he had, and we talked about the fact that it's great to ask questions of God, and we come with him with sincerity, and he wants to answer them. And we looked at how Nicodemus, who was a religious insider, then chose Jesus, and he became a follower of Jesus. And at the end of Jesus' life, he actually was one of the two people that took Jesus from the tomb and then put him in the grave. And today we're going to look and encounter a person that some people would call a religious outsider, so totally outside. In some ways, we have between the two stories, and I believe that John, as he's putting his stories together, does this on purpose. So he does an insider, and now he's going to do an outsider, two totally opposites. Nicodemus, the religious one who had kept all the rules and done everything correctly, that he was a pillar of society on this hand. And on this hand, we have a woman Um, that was this religious outsider who was so insignificant that her name is not even mentioned. Not even mentioned. But since she became, but we're going to see that she became a follower of Jesus, and even though her name is not ever mentioned, she's the very first Christian missionary. She had a huge impact. So this is what it begins. Let's just begin in verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John... Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, Jesus then moved. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. I'm going to ask you to circle or underline that word had, and we're going to pause for just a minute. Now, that word had does not mean that Jesus had to pass through Samaria the way that you had to drive down Rough and Ready Highway to get to the church today. There's only one way, right? Rough and Ready Highway exit and get to church. It doesn't mean that that was the only way that Jesus could get to Galilee was he had to go through Samaria. There were other ways that they could get to Samaria. In fact, no self-respecting Jewish male would ever go through Samaria at all, would ever take this route that even though it was two days shorter from Judea to Galilee, that went through Samaria unless it was for a specific reason. So I'm going to show you a map here so we can kind of see what was going on there. And you see Judea at the bottom of the map, you see Galilee at the top of the map, and you see in the green, this would be the path that Jesus took as he went from Judea to Galilee. He went through Samaria. You see the dotted lines that go around the brown, dotted lines that go around. This is the traditional route. This is the way most people would go, because most Jews would go, because they could not go through Samaria. So they would actually add two entire days to their journey, simply so that they wouldn't go through the land of Samaria. Now, why? Well, 500 years before this, uh, there had been the Assyrians had come to the Jewish nation and they had taken the Jews' captivity and they'd taken them back to Assyria as exiles. Well, they left some Jews in Judea and in Israel. And those who were left, they're like, well, we're a few, so we need to be stronger. So then they, you know, combined forces with the other people who were living there, the Canaanites. And then not only did they combine forces with them, they intermarried with them. And then they changed and started combining religions with them. And that's who they had become. And then later on, when the Jewish people were able to come back from exile and rebuild the temple, they found that these Uh, Jews had married these Canaanites, and so now they call them Samaritans because that's where they lived in Samaria. And the Jews thought of them as people who had been collaborating with the enemy, religious heretics, and we have to stay away from them. In fact, they hated them so much, they called them the dogs of Samaritans, the dogs of Samaritans. And they hated them and called them 
And they, they forbid them to then come to worship when they rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. Forbid them because they were now worshiping in a really confused way with other gods and even included some child sacrifice in that. And so the Samaritans said, well, fine, we'll just build our own temple. We'll just build our own. So they built their own temple where they could have worship and do it their way. And they combined other, you know, all kinds of other things besides the Jewish tradition in their worship. And this is the last straw between the two people. Last straw. And the tensions escalated so much that it was against the Jewish moral standards to even step foot on Samaritan sto- soil. Or, and they avoided Samaritans at all cost. If you did step foot on Samaritan soil or you encountered a Samaritan somewhere in your life circumstances, you were required to go through a purification of seven days to purify yourself from being with these dogs. That's the attitude that's going on. So Jesus' choice, got to hear me, his choice to go through Samaria was radical. As we'll see in just a moment, it's because Jesus totally understood his mission. Jesus will cross all human-made barriers, all human-made barriers to reach as many people as possible with the gospel of Christ, the reason he came. Okay, let's go on. It says then, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well it was about the sixth hour. So just so you know, sixth hour means noon, 12 o'clock. If you're back in my hometown in Oklahoma, you would have heard the sirens going off to let everyone know, in case you couldn't figure it's lunchtime, folks. So you would hear the sirens going off at that time. Jesus had been walking about 15 to 20 miles that morning, 15 to 20 miles that morning, and now it's hot, sun's at its peak, uh, he had no food, so he, they get to this well. He decides, you know what, I, we need to get some nourishment. He knew that his troops needed, his disciples needed to eat. He did as well. And so he sent them into Sychar to bring, get food and bring it back. Now that word had, this is what it meant, is that Jesus chose to be at the well because he had an appointment at 12 o'clock with a woman who was going to come from Sychar to the well. He had an appointment, a divine appointment. You guys ever been part of a divine appointment? He had that at that moment because there was a woman who needed empathy and grace and truth, not only her, but the entire region, and she would become an example that we now read about today, thousands of years later. See, the good news for this in the story is that Jesus shows us that he's willing to cross all man-made barriers to reach those who are hurting, broken, and in need. Jesus did that. All those who were separated from God by their choices or by the choices of others. So today we're going to look at this encounter with a woman who was thirsty. She was physically thirsty, so she was coming to the well for water. But she was spiritually thirsty, and she needed the living water that Jesus was going to bring. And what I hope today is that we see is that every one of us, folks, is just like this woman. Every one of us. We're spiritually thirsty. And just like this woman, we look for ways to satisfy our spiritual thirst. 
many of it. We look for ways that we're going to quench that thirst. And oftentimes, we look for all kinds of ways apart from God, thinking that, that there's a promise in there that if I pursue this, if I go after this, that that's going to quench my thirst in some way. And most of these pursuits leave us parched and empty. Anyone want to give a testimony about that? Leave us parched and empty. Today, we'll talk about the only way that we can have our spiritual thirst quenched. Now, thinking about satisfaction and getting our, our thirst quenched, the poster, the poster child for the inability of us in our personal suits to satisfy or quench our thirst is this guy, Mick Jagger. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try and I try. I can't get no I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> Mick Jagger, woo! <laughs> Folks, that's an honest confession. Honest confession from a man who had all the money and fame and pleasure that the world could give him. And I can't get no satisfaction. I'm here to show you today from this story of Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well, folks. Hey, I'm going to tell you this right up front. We can get satisfaction. We can be satisfied. But it's not going to come from what we do. It's not going to come from what we experience or what we accomplish. Satisfaction is going to come from who I choose to worship. When I choose to engage in worship. So I have three keys, lots of verses and three keys. We're going to look at this on how we too can get our quenched thirst from Jesus. And uh, I wish I had time to go into everything in these verses, it's, uh, but I don't, obviously. Uh, we have another service that would come in if you were still here and I was going on. And it's not going to work that way. So what I'm just going to pray today is that what I do get to cover is exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to use in your life. And then as you reflect on this, you can go and dig deeper in these verses. Okay, so Jesus quenches our thirst first by changing our paradigm changing our paradigm. So a paradigm, just a way of thinking that's developed over time. And I'm kind of logged into that. It's, it's kind of a rut that I live in. Uh, it's a way of looking at the world. Okay, so let's just begin in this next verse. So here's what happened. Jesus is sitting there. So a woman from a Samaria came to draw water. Uh, and so just so you know, uh, that uh, archaeologists have done some digs in the city Sychar, and they've discovered that there's a well in Sychar. So there was a well there that she could have gotten her water from, but it just tells you even more about this woman when we realize that she had to go outside of the city to get her water. Okay, so we just learned a little bit more about her. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you a Jew, how'd she know he's a Jew? Probably because of his dress, okay? Probably because he looked like a Jew. So it's probably like that's what she's saying there. Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. For the Jews, have no dealings with the Samaritans. So I just want to talk a little bit now about the paradigm of the day that was keeping people from experiencing fully the love of God. The love of God. And so what we're going to see here is we're going to see that when, when a person is outside of the Father's love... Oftentimes, they stay there because of the human barriers that have been established by religious people many times that actually keep people from God instead of bringing them to God. There's several barriers. One would be the gender barrier. This was a patriarchal, patriarchal see, I told you I slaughtered that language, English, language, language. And so <laughs> patriarchal society 
And then, so that meant, uh, really, in this religion, that uh, men were not allowed to speak to women. Uh, we've come a long ways, folks. Uh, and so they actually had to look the other way when they met a woman, couldn't talk to her. There was a religious barrier. A Jewish man was not allowed to talk uh, or even be in the presence of a Samaritan. So now we have this religious, we have a moral barrier. We're going to see in just a minute that this woman had had five husbands and she was living with a man that wasn't her husband. And so there's some moral issues here. Um, and so I just want to say this right now, that oftentimes I've heard this story taught about and I've read a ton this week. So I could kind of wrap my brain around this so I wouldn't get stuck in a paradigm. And what I realized is, is that oftentimes we read this story as if five husbands and not living with this guy means that she was an immoral woman. What if we read it in another way? What if we read it from the fact that she was a hurting woman, a wounded woman, that she didn't choose the path that she was on? Others had hurt her. Maybe husbands had died. Desperation for food, desperation for housing, desperation for life that she had made choices that weren't about morality as much as they were about survival? What if we looked at her another way and we didn't judge her? See, that's one of the barriers, I think, is that we judge people, is we look at them and we think we know why they do what they do. So I just want to throw that in right there, because this is what spoke to me the most this week. We judge people because we think we know what they do and why they do it. And that's one of the dangers of being religious <laughs> uh, and moral. Okay, there's a social barrier. She's alone. She's shunned by the women of her community for some reason. Must have been the fact that maybe they thought she was going to take their husband, but whatever. She was shunned by them. And we know this because she, when she came to get water at noon, well, the time to gather water was not at noon. The time to gather water was in the morning or the evening. And also, you gathered water, women gathered water with women. Why? Because it was a social time. It was a time of community, a time of laughter, a time of stories, support, crying, sharing of resources. But she was all alone. There was a racial barrier, ethnic barrier, because she was a Samaritan. And obviously this, I kind of read it into this. There's a political barrier here, political barrier going on here. The Samaritans and the Jews were in a political battle over which temple was the right temple to worship in. And Jesus crossed over the aisle. And extended himself to someone of a different political persuasion. See, this is the person right now. You're going to see this is the person Jesus had to go through Samaria to meet. Jesus crosses over all human divides. He builds bridges so that he can be with her. He deliberately chose her. I just want to stop a minute and just think about this. Wouldn't the world be a better place if you and I chose Jesus' approach? Wouldn't it be a better place? Just if we think about that, if we chose Jesus' approach. Now, he's going to shatter her paradigm. Okay, so let's read what he says next. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw. So she's in physical. You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater she's kind of maybe making fun of him are you greater than our father jacob he gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock jesus said to her everyone who drinks of this water here's the paradigm shake everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again 
but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So I'm going to give you water. You don't have to go to the water hole anymore. That water is just going to well up in you. Well up in you. It's going to quench your thirst. It's going to quench your thirst forever. And the woman said to him, because she's still in the physical right now, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So Jesus shakes her paradigm about why she's at the well and about water. And she says, and, he, and Jesus says to her, there, I'm going to give you water and you're not going to have to come back to a well for this water. You're going to come to me and you're going to have my spirit in you and it's just going to flow out of you as living water as I place it inside of you. And what she realizes here, I think, okay, this is my opinion, is that Jesus didn't come to offer her some kind of prosperity gospel especially one that's so popular in our day. He didn't come to offer her wealth or success or pleasure or power or position or possessions. He offered her the only thing that could quench her deep thirst. He offered her what everyone needs, every one of us, the living water that is refreshing, that quenches the deep longing in our hearts where we cannot get satisfied by our other pursuits. Jesus quenches our thirst by changing our paradigm first, and he says, hey, come to me, and I will be able to satisfy you. Second thing is this. He quenches our thirst by changing our pursuits. Our pursuits. And so what we're going to see here is we're going to see grace and truth in action. So Jesus then says to her, it's totally out of the blue here. This happens, okay? Totally next sentence. I, I said a couple of things, but this is like dialogue going on. Go get your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you were a prophet. <laughs> understatement, understatement. <laughs> Oh my, where was I at? Not a prophet. There we go. Our fathers, so she's now, if you're a prophet, then you're going to be able to answer the deepest question of our day. Deepest question of our day. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. By the way, every time that John in his book talks about the hour, the time, he's referring to the death of Jesus. So that hour is coming. The death of Jesus is coming and is now here. And he's basically going to say, now here. And he's standing right in front of you. He's right in front of you. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. So another thing that people do with this woman sometimes is they judge her, and they think that when she's coming out here, well, she must be illiterate, because she must be of the lower echelon of people. And, but really, you know, if you read into this, she's really smart. She knows her stuff. She asks intelligent questions. 
I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. Now, there's some, and I've heard, and I've even taught this before, there's some that say that when she talks about the whole idea of where we worship, that what she's doing is she's trying to change the subject. It got real uncomfortable. Yeah, sometimes we do that, right? When we're confronted about something that we don't want to admit, we change the subject and we move on to something else and something different. And you know, many times people think that's exactly what she did when she said, oh, many husbands, oh, where do we worship Jesus? And so they can talk about something that's, you know, that we can argue about that really has no you know, impact upon my heart in some way. Um, but I'm just thinking about it maybe from another way. What if what, if what she's doing, what if she's just being honest? What if she's just being honest? She's honest. She said, right out of the chute, she said, I've had five husbands. I mean, he's a stranger. I've had five husbands, and the guy I'm with right now is not my husband. What if it was just right now what she's doing is she realizes he's a prophet, and she's realizing that Jesus has an answer, and she says, I've messed my life up. I've left, left, messed my life up by pursuing relationships, believing that men could fill a hole in my heart, and it's led to hurt and pain and rejection and depression and shame, desperation and isolation. What if she's at the place right, right now, right now, it's just a critical place where she's saying, all my pursuits, all my actions, my plans got me this, got me this. And she's asking in that question, where do we worship? She's asking, is there something better? Is there something better? And Jesus answers her and says, yes, yes, there is. And it's found when you worship God, when you choose to make your primary pursuit the worship of God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and all your social relationships. And see, Jesus wants her to change her pursuit that's leading her to more and more damage to her soul as she tries to quench her thirst. She wants her to pursue God as the deer pants for the water. That kind of worship. And he says to her, what you need is living water. That's what you're looking for. What you need is the spirit of God. What you need is the truth of God to come over you, to overwhelm you with the love that God has for you so that you can know his love, to flood you, to wash over you, to satisfy you, to quench your thirst, to cause life to spring up from inside of you. That's what worship does. So what about us? What are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? What occupies most of your thinking, most of your time? What is it that you've devoted yourself to that you believe is going to quench your thirst? What are you pursuing when God says, pursue me first? Pursue me first. In fact, he says, if you will make me first, I will give you all the other things that you desire. If you place me first. Is it a career? Is it a relationship? Is it a marriage? Is it a child? Is it stuff? Is it experience? Is it notoriety? Is it sex? Is it alcohol? Is it weed? Drugs? Pleasure? Folks, we all need to humble ourselves. 
and this was the soul searching for me, and this might be, we all need to humble ourselves, and we need to be as honest as this woman was willing to be and acknowledge what we've been turning to to satisfy us, to quench our thirst. And when you encounter Jesus, he challenges your paradigms. And he also asks you to look at your pursuits and then change them from pursuing things that are temporal, that are just going to lead you to being more thirsty ultimately without quenching you, to then pursue something that actually quenches your thirst and then, as we're going to see next, quenches the thirst of others. And that's the last idea. Jesus quenches our thirst by changing our purpose. He changes our purpose. So I want you to notice what happens in this woman's life as she's had this encounter with Jesus and how the ripple effect went out and it changed the entire village of Sychar. This woman, as I said earlier, she became the very first Christian missionary. And because of her witness, eternities were fixed in stone because of her newfound purpose. Okay, so this is what it says next. Verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? They weren't going to get thrown under the bus here, okay? They're they're, they're pretty, they just, I'm not going to ask Jesus right now. Let's just see what happens, or why are you talking with her? So what happened next is the woman forgot why she came. She, her purpose was changed. Her purpose was changed. She left her water jar, and she went away into town, and she said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. And many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So she was changed and they visibly saw it. He told me all that I ever did. They knew all she'd ever done. But she now was being honest and admitting it. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Remember what I said earlier when we looked at the map? If you went straight from Judea to Galilee, but if you took the alternate route, the right route, it was two days longer. Jesus had two extra days. And so he stayed two days at Sychar because he was willing to go through Samaria because he had an appointment a divine appointment with a woman at the well. She had been transformed by her encounter with Jesus at that moment. At that moment, folks, this is why we've called this series Hope Unleashed. Hope was unleashed in her. Unleashed in her. And she wanted even those, this is what you need to understand right now, she wanted those who had judged her, those who had ostracized her, those who had ridiculed her, those who had excluded her, those who had ignored her, those who had been rude to her, those who had hurt her, those who had gossiped about her. She wanted every one of those to know the one who quenches all thirst. Every one of them. And this is now our purpose, and it will be the purpose for everyone who chooses to let Jesus quench their thirst. In fact, A few chapters later, John 7, Jesus says this, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will will flow rivers of living water. So I believe in him. He quenches my thirst with his living water. 
And then because I've believed in him, out of me will flow rivers of living water so that others can have the living water that Jesus offers so that I can be his witness in the world. Jesus is the one who quenches all your thirst, folks. Jesus is the one. And he will restore the life that the locust ate. He will restore that. The life that the locusts ate while we were busy pursuing satisfaction in all the wrong places. And like this woman, we've been given, those who know Jesus, we've been given life and we've been given the spirit and we've been given truth and God wants us to cross over, to take down the man, human-made barriers. He wants us to cross over because he has appointments for us with people who have been excluded labeled as religious outcasts to the thirsty so that just like the people of Sychar, many more people can say, we too believe because he's the savior of the world. We too believe. And then this promise from Revelation that Mark read earlier unleashes hope in just an amazing way for all who believe. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So folks, we're all trying to satisfy our souls with something. And this encounter is saying this. If you try to satisfy your deep thirst with anything other than Jesus, with anything other than God, and this is just a word of love, your life will end up parched and barren. But if you satisfy yourself in him, your life will be satisfied and fruitful. That's the promise. Bow your heads, let's pray together. Well, Jesus, I thank you that you were you went to such extreme um, actions to cross the barrier here between this woman and you that you learned to communicate in her in a way that she could hear you and jesus i i just pray now that each one of us that we would take ourselves in and put ourselves into the story and it's not about the woman but it's about us what are we pursuing what would be our words that we said where she said i have had five husbands and the man i'm with now is not my husband what would we say i've been pursuing pleasure fun lust life recreation career just the things that would bring me temporary satisfaction and Jesus, we just would want to confess that to you today. Acknowledge that as truth. And then there's a wonderful Bible word that we would use now, Jesus, and we would repent. And we would want to say, we're going to turn from that pursuit to you. We're going to pursue you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, all of our resources, all that you've given us all that you've blessed us with, all of our energy, everything we have. And as we 
experience you, then you place within us a greater understanding of this living water, a greater experience with it, a life change that then causes us to just want to share it everywhere we go, to give it to everyone so that their thirst can be quenched as ours is being quenched by you, Jesus. I just pray now if there's anyone here who would never said yes to Jesus, but just like the villagers at Sychar that you want to say yes today, it says they believed in Jesus. They believed in Jesus. Would you say that just right now? Just, I believe in Jesus. Say it to yourself. I believe in Jesus. Receive him as the focus of your life. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.